Broadcasting from the UNMC College of Nursing, get ready for RN Huddle, the podcast dedicated to bringing hot topics for and by nurses to the table. Welcome everyone to this edition of RN Huddle. This is Heidi Keeler, College of Nursing faculty here at the UNMC College of Nursing, home of RN Huddle. And in this episode, we're going to continue the conversation with our very own Dr. Steve Wengel, Assistant Vice Chancellor for Campus Wellness and Division Director of Geriatric Psychiatry here at UNMC. And we were talking about burnout in our last episode, and so we're going to continue that conversation today. Dr. Wengel, thank you for being here. Thanks again for having me. Uh, We had such an amazing discussion last time about burnout and some of the concepts. If you haven't listened to the episode, I highly suggest you go back and listen to it because this is a companion conversation. Um, But to start out here, Dr. Wengel, can you just really quickly help us to remember what the concept of burnout is? Yeah, as as it is most typically described, it's a, it's a constellation of three separate kind of symptoms. One is a sense of low personal accomplishment, a sense that you're working really, really hard, but maybe not getting the right things done. So that's one. One is emotional exhaustion, the sense that you're, you know, you're just, your bucket is just kind of drained at the end of the day and it goes on day after day. Then the last one is uh, depersonalization, or maybe another way of uh, referring to that is some people just refer to that as cynicism, you know, where you treat other people kind of poorly and not very empathically. Right, right. And we also discussed the fact that there is a significant portion of our clinicians that are suffering at least one symptom of burnout and that it's very difficult to measure and to really get an accurate hold on that. But let's go with the assumption that you're working in your facility and you either yourself or somebody that you're working with is suffering from burnout. We'll make the assumption that somebody somewhere in your sphere is suffering from burnout. What what can you do, Dr. Wangle, to once you have someone identified, what are some personal strategies you can use to help the situation? So if you notice this, let's say, first of all, in someone else, because sometimes it's easier to notice changes in other people. Uh, These things often, when they apply to us, they kind of creep up on us and we don't really see it, you know, because it's sort of incremental. But But when you look at a colleague, especially maybe somebody you haven't seen for a while, for a week or two, and they just seem a little more distant or a little less uh, interactive or a little grumpier or what have you. Uh, You know, again, I think the first thing to do, as we talked about at the other uh, session, was to just acknowledge it. Take somebody aside and, again, buy them a cup of coffee or something and just say, I've just noticed you, you seem like you're not yourself. And just open up the doors for the conversation. But what about, what if you notice it in yourself? That's it's sometimes a little harder and sometimes we don't notice it until it has uh, been going on a while. But I think when you do or if you do, I think it's, I think it's equally important to acknowledge it. And, uh, you know, it is not a sign of weakness. It is not a psychiatric condition. It is a work-related thing. The good news is burnout is, is treatable. Or again, it's not a condition, so I guess I shouldn't really be saying treating it. Uh, it is uh, one, one Maybe key. Maybe addressing it. Yeah, addressing it is a good verb. I like that. And, you know, one thing I, I'd like to just also just get on the table is uh, it can resemble depression because people that are depressed oftentimes uh, can be irritable. They can be socially withdrawn and so forth. But but it's different. They, they, they overlap, but they're really different. And uh, one way we know that is if, if it's burnout and you get away from the stress, like if you get away from the, the workplace for a while, 
long weekend or a longer vacation, typically you feel better. Depression often does not really get much better when the circumstances change. And so that's one, that's one question that comes up a lot is how do I know I'm not depressed? So that's one piece I, I would like to get on the table. The other thing is there are ways that there, there are, uh, you know, surveys or burnout inventories people can take just to, just to see how they stack up. Or, for example, the other thing that comes up is we have uh, at our institution, and I'm sure many other places, there are uh, apps you can take. We have an, uh, an app where you can take an online confidential assessment that asks you about questions about depression, burnout, anxiety, and so forth. Because, again, until you really stop and take a deep breath and do a, take a little perspective taking, sometimes you can miss it in yourself. So, Dr. Wangle, you mentioned that the difference between depression and burnout is that when you remove yourself from the workplace stress, the symptoms go away. Or at least, is that immediately or is that you have to step away for some, some period it, it, of time? It does take a little time. Sometimes, uh, you know, for people that work, and again, I realize a lot of nurses don't work five on, two off, you know, or whatever, but but let's say you, let's say you do you have two consecutive days off sometimes a two day weekend isn't quite enough really and that's where you know sometimes the extra third day or certainly if you can taking a week off will give you a much better idea that if it if you really feel persistently low you know after 3 4 days off it doesn't mean you're depressed but it would start to make me kind of wonder if there isn't something else going on Interesting. I think that's one takeaway point that uh, listeners you should walk away from this podcast with in that if your symptoms don't start getting better after taking some time away from uh, your stressors, then you really might want to be seeking out a different kind of, of assistance. You know, um, thinking kind of selfishly, Dr. Wangle, I know that nurses tend to get very busy in their job with very little breaks. And so, you know, you mentioned that maybe trying to ask some questions or connect with a person who you might be thinking is experiencing burnout would be something that would be a good thing to do. But what if I'm thinking to myself, I am too busy. I don't have time to connect with that person over there and figure out their burnout problem. What can you say about how burnout affects productivity in a unit? Ah, yeah. It isn't good for sure that, uh, you know, communications between people tend to suffer. Uh, and we know that and, and no matter what kind of job you do, if communication is not good, uh, the product suffers. Uh, we know, too, that burned out clinical providers are not as empathic. In fact, that's one of the earliest, uh, you know, I think, fallouts of, of burnout. So it clearly uh, has an impact. In fact, there are some studies showing that on units where the providers are scoring particularly high on burnout, that rates of like uh, urinary tract infections and other uh, hospital-acquired infections tend to go up, and even mortality rates sometimes have been associated with higher rates of burnout in the staff. That's pretty scary. And, you know, I think this really is something that we all need to be paying attention to. As a nurse practicing on a unit, I know that the success of getting through a shift depends on the strength of the nurses and the, the other team members that are working that day. And so if you think that addressing burnout is not something that really relates to you, I, I think you might be selling your unit and your experience mm -hmm. short. So you've identified somebody as maybe suffering from burnout. What are some first steps in order to get that person some assistance? Well, the first step, again, to me is just uh, sort of 
taking them aside, non-judgmentally, just, you know, friend to friend, colleague to colleague, you know, yeah, just I've noticed some changes in you or it just looks like maybe you've got something on your mind or whatever and see, see where the conversation takes you. It Again, seems like at this point that maybe if you find out that somebody is burned out, that maybe you might not be able to help, that maybe you would at that point need to seek some assistance in your organization. Right. And that's where, you know, pretty much every organization will have uh, an employee assistance program of some sort. And that's what they're there for. They, they're really good at teasing apart, you know, is this depression versus burnout versus a home life problem or what have you. And that's their job. So I really think EAP is a great, great resource for people. Um, and that's employee assistance programming. Thank you. Yes, yeah. exactly. Right. And, you know, every unit, every institution will do it somewhat differently. But uh, at our place, for example, we we have an offsite wing of that for people that want to go somewhere else because they want a really discreet location. They also come on site to make it more convenient for busy people. And then they even have sort of an, a, a, a telehealth option for people who want to do it that way. So, you know, I think part, part of this is just having as many different open doors to go through as possible because everybody's different in terms of how they might want to reach out to someone. Right, right. And so I heard you say previously that the social component, the isolation, the withdrawing tends to come along with burnout. And I'm wondering, in our own explanation or exploration of burnout here at UNMC, we learned that some of burnout has to do with depersonalization and the, the dehumanizing of healthcare. And one culprit or one thing that we're pointing our fingers at is our electronic health records and our focus being on collecting the data versus taking care of the clients. And so what can you say about that aspect of burnout? So I think that piece is really, really critically important that you know, if burnout is a work-related problem, what are the, what are the root causes? And, you know, I, again, speaking to, you know, I, I speak to a lot of different groups, nurses, again, pharmacists, physicians, whatever. I'll tell you when I talk to physicians, especially, they really, they sometimes push back when I talk about caring for themselves and they say, you know, it's a, it's a system problem. Let's fix the system. And there is much, much truth in that. So there, I, I would say there are many, many really smart, dedicated people working on trying to make the system more efficient. We certainly have people here at UNMC that we work with closely, and I'm sure it's happening all over the country, people trying to make electronic health records more efficient and more user-friendly, for example. I think that's critically important. But, you know, we don't have to wait for um, the EHR vendors, for example, to fix this. There are things that I think... It, individual campuses or individual units can do on their own. There are tweaks that can be made. There are ways to make things more efficient. But the problem is when you're burned out, you tend not to see that. You tend to feel sort of helpless, I think. And to me, that's one of the main problems with burnout is you don't sometimes see solutions that might be right there in front of you. In my experience, I've seen units, you know, whether it's a, an academic department or a hospital unit or whatever, that have navigated that by giving people sort of grassroots permission to talk about solutions. And, you know, everybody that works here is really, really smart. Everybody's creative and they've got really good ideas. And if you give them permission, especially in a group setting where that you harness that power of the group, a lot of times people come up with ways to make things better and more efficient. So we've talked about how the system can definitely help with the issue of burnout. And it sounds like one, or maybe two is one, to not vilify the change and to recognize the benefits of change, such as 
the documentation clarity that EMRs bring us, but to empower folks to be able to advocate for systems changes in their organization. Uh, Here at UNMC, we've noted the issue of burnout for going on five plus years, right? Right. And, And so... We've been doing a lot of systems examination and and assessments and systems changes. Can you give some examples of what we've found and what we've made some progress in so that others might be able to take this into their units? Right. So I think it's it's an interesting combination of things. Um, So I look at it as kind of a pyramid. It's a public health concept. So if if burnout is really as prevalent as, as we think it is from those numbers that we've talked about before, then this becomes sort of like a public health problem, like an outbreak of something, for example. So the public health people would say that, uh, you know, you want three phases. You want a prevention phase at the bottom of the pyramid, and then a screening element as the second level, and then a treatment part at the top. And so I think the best ways to address these are to try to do things at all three different levels. So on the prevention side, for example, that's where we look at the system causes. Can we make the EHR more efficient? Can, are there other things we can do? Can, can our teams able to communicate more effectively or more efficiently and so forth? But also that's where, that, that's where we put in things like self-care. That's something we haven't talked much about, but I'm a big believer in us taking responsibility for our own health and making sure we're getting enough sleep and enough exercise, doing some form of stress management and so forth. So that all kind of fits there. Um, exposure to the humanities for people that choose to do that. That's something we're doing here. We have a volunteer orchestra, for example, that's comprised of you know nurses, physicians, graduate students, you name it. For those people, that's been a really kind of healing experience. So anyway, that's the, the prevention phase. Then the second phase is screening. So that's where we, I, I really advocate a buddy system where, you know, people can keep an eye out for each other. And again, you see that colleague in distress, you help them talk about it, help them get to eat, uh, employee assistance, for example, if they need to. And then there's, uh, oh, and then incidentally, so, you know, kind of social support fits into both of those phases, I think. Having regular meetings or regular, don't have to be meetings, that sounds kind of formal, but regular just, uh, you know. Connections. Connections, really. thank you. That's we, the, yeah. we do our work so independent sometimes that we don't come back and connect with one so, another. So you brought up a great word, and that actually reminds me, literally two hours ago today, I was going through some new articles because I try to keep up with the literature. There's a whole nursing journal that just came out this month, and it all was about kind of burnout in healthcare workers, largely nurses. And they have a really innovative program they talked about, about authentic connections. I think that was the name of the program, authentic connections. And it was like, how do you bring nurses together uh, to talk, to debrief about difficult patient encounters? Or And that's very healing. I think that's very, very, you know, hesitate to say therapeutic, because again, that sounds like, it, you know, that's sort of psychiatrist speak. But I think it's just, we crave that. As human beings, we crave those connections. So let's turn back to the the pyramid. And the first part of the pyramid is prevention. And the second part of the pyramid is screening. And so what remind us, what is that third part of the pyramid? So the third part then is treatment. And it's, you know, it's it's the smallest phase that most people that have uh, work-related stress or whatever don't necessarily need mental health treatment, but some will. And it's maybe not, it may have nothing to do with the workplace. It may be depression they would have had anyway, or an anxiety disorder or whatever. But, you know, we're all human beings and these, these conditions are pretty common and we're not immune from them as healthcare workers. Uh, even psychiatrists, you know, uh, we, we certainly have our share of trouble with depression and anxiety too. We're all human beings under the skin. 
And so for that fraction of people that do need something more formal, we need to make sure we have those resources available. Again, at most institutions, a good way to get in the door is to go to your local employee assistance program uh, or whatever it might be called. That's a typical name at the workplace. And usually they will have uh, therapists, for example, that will be able to help screen for various conditions and try to understand, is this burnout versus depression versus a relationship issue at home or what have you, and then uh, help you get the, the kind of help that you need. And then make sure, right, that part of the system component of addressing burnout is making sure that folks have the ability to do that without any kind of consequence. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the thing. And so when, you know, for busy clinicians or busy clinical staff, you got to try to make it accessible for people so they can get away for that appointment or do it after hours if need be. And, uh, you know, really good employee assistance programs will try to make it as flexible as possible so get the get the help that they want and they need. Right, right. And so there are some cutting-edge systems initiatives that you're working on here at UNMC. Can you describe one or two of those as exemplars? So I think one of them uh, is, uh, like many places around the country, we, we've started doing a survey. So we survey everyone, every staff member, every student, every faculty member. Uh, and we got some pretty, you know, pretty revealing data that our, our numbers look pretty similar to the rest of the country, which really isn't that surprising. But it's really helped us in very concrete ways decide what we can do about it. Uh, for example, one thing we learned is that not everybody knows how to access mental health care should they need it. So we're doing an information campaign to make sure people know about employee assistance or the students know about the student counseling center. So that's that's kind of low-hanging fruit, you know, getting some education out. But I think the other big thing we're doing this year is we formed a, uh, we're calling a wellness communication committee where we bring together people from the different units, uh, the nursing school, the medical school, the pharmacy college, and so forth, and bring together the, the people that really... Uh, are identified as the point people for colleagues or students in distress. And we're bringing them together, giving them some training in what to watch for in a colleague, how to identify a colleague or a student in distress, how to talk to them about that, how to refer them to employee assistance or student counseling and so forth. So it sounds like systems problems really need to have leadership buy-in to try and, and identify and address issues. And here at our institution, Our chancellor is on the cutting edge and and at the national level on these issues. And as I said, we've been working on it for several years. Part of our first steps was to assemble a well-being coordinating council, which I'm very proud to say the dean of the College of Nursing was one of the founding leaders of that group. And we just brought um, leaders from across the institution together to talk about what are we going to do to address this issue. And so several subcommittees came off of that particular organization. One is the Campus Communication Committee, which will address how kind of the red flag you mentioned, the red flag communication structure within our organization. But we've also had a well-being continuing the conversations about well-being, a series of events where it was an informational campaign about what is burnout, how do you address it, and now we're starting to get into higher level of structural changes and research too, so that we can contribute to our knowledge of this issue. 
Wow, we've really talked about some pretty heavy things here, Dr. Wangle. Do you have any other thoughts about burnout or any other takeaways for our listeners? Well, one thing I want to dovetail on what you just said, I think we have, you know, leadership from above is really critically important. We have that here. We're really fortunate. You mentioned Dr. Gold, and he's, you're absolutely right. He's nationally connected with the you know, many, many national organizations. He's got a seat at the table of those. He brings back cutting edge ideas and he really cares deeply about this. I would say the leadership at Nebraska Medicine, our uh, clinical partner, also um, are very, very attuned to this and really get it, I would say. And I think that's that's the key, that if you have leadership that is engaged and gets it, it really, the, the rest of the things can, it sets the stage for other things. But I guess the other thing, just to end on kind of a hopeful note, uh, you know, these conditions are are things we can address, and I think it's I think just opening the conversation is a big, big piece to this. I, I you know, we would not have been having these sort of conversations five or ten years ago. I think mm-hmm. this is actually a healthy thing that we're getting some things out in the open, and people are getting help when they need it. If they do need formal mental health, most don't, but some that do, uh, they're getting it, and I think that's an amazing thing. Right, right. I would definitely agree with what you said. You know, our leadership here, we're not only doing things to address the issue, but but I think it's really an amazing thing that our leaders also have been able to put forth their their feelings and their mm-hmm. true empathy. They they really have communicated the idea that this isn't just another initiative. This is something that they really care about. And when you get right down to it, a lot of burnout is is related to gee, does anyone care about my yes. distress? So uh, we're really fortunate in that. You know, bringing it home to nurses, I think that a lot of times nurses have a lot of stress and busyness in their day-to-day. Of course, many health professionals do. And we tend to think that we really can't change anything. And so for the nurses listening, just know that you do have the ability to change your unit. You have the ability to change some of your own personal routines. And you also have the ability to take a step outside of your unit and advocate for these issues at your institutional level, too. So don't forget the power of advocacy. Nurses know that they are patient advocates, and so they also need to be advocates for their environment as well. So with that, thank you so much for being with us today, Dr. Wengel. Thanks again so much for having me here. I think this is a great conversation. I really appreciate the chance to be here. We might have to bring you back again to hear about more advancements in the world of burnout. So thank you so much to our listeners. This has been another edition of RN Huddle. I can't wait to have you back next time to talk about another issue, all things nursing at RN Huddle. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to RN Huddle. To stay connected, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at UNMC CNE. Or check out unmc.edu slash CNE for more program information.